0: BLOB TALK RADIO
1: Good afternoon, good evening colleagues, no matter where you're listening from, no matter what time of the day or night. Welcome back to my podcast, Voices of the Sacred Feminine, and I am glad to say it's been about a month now that we are back on the air. And we're streaming live at 11 a.m. Pacific on Wednesdays, but if you can't catch us then, no worries, because uh, the shows stay in the archives indefinitely for your convenience. And we're now on Spotify, Amazon, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple, uh, all the, you know, the typical podcast platforms. And uh, just so you'll know, if uh, you're new to the show, uh, there are about 11 years of shows all still there and very relevant for your listening pleasure. And if you actually go listen to the show at... uh, uh, you know, from a blog talk, Uh, you'll see on the show page uh, you can actually subscribe there. And I highly recommend that because that way uh, you will get uh, an email in your inbox uh, the day of the show that will tell you what we're talking about. Now, you don't have to listen to it then. You can save it and listen to it later. But the plus side of that is uh, you don't have to rely on seeing uh, some Facebook post or something from me to know what's going on. Uh, You'll always know uh, who our guest is and uh, what the topic. And uh, I want to And um, my thanks out to all of you for still sending in your uh, congratulations and uh, your kind words about, uh, you know, your happiness that the podcast has returned to the air. It really makes a big difference to know that the show uh, had been so loved and appreciated. And also, uh, thanks to Abigail Spinner McBride. Uh, She's the artist uh, whose music opens the show, uh, and we're using her cut called um, Om Uh, in uh, tribute to the lion-headed Egyptian goddess. And also thanks to our roving reporter, Pat. She sends me just the best articles to share with you. And today is no exception. So after the interview with my guest, I hope you'll stay with me because uh, there's lots more happening uh, after my conversation uh, with Carolyn Boyd. Now, uh, Carolyn is a writer And uh, she's a favorite contributor to Feminism and Religion blog, or FAR, as it's known to many regular readers. And uh, she's with me today to discuss uh, the hospitality of goddess-centered cultures. We'll delve into what that uh, looked like and how it might address uh, the trauma and abuse epidemic in our world. Uh, we'll uh, talk about the loss of this value and how it's affected women. Uh, we'll get into uh, how maybe reclaiming hospitality through goddess myths and stories might make a difference and um, how values and practices of the current goddess movement also helps women heal. So uh, there's there's lots for us uh, uh, to talk about. Um, I want to also tell you that Uh, Her website is uh, Goddess in the Teapot, and um, she has essays, short stories, memoirs, reviews, poetry, all about women's spirituality, uh, there for your pleasure. And uh, it's been published in a variety of magazines, Internet sites, book anthologies for more than two decades. And her writing usually always explores how we can bring goddess-centered values into the 21st century. Uh, everyday life uh, to enhance our communities um, on so many different levels so Carolyn uh, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine
2: oh thank you so much for having me I'm, I'm grateful you've asked me to be on
1: well, I just love when I come across one of your writings in Uh, uh There's so many great writers there, and uh, I consider you one of them. Uh, I oh. can tell you, you know, and often time, you know, uh, when I was going through some dark days, it was uh, the writings of people like you uh, who just maybe started my day outright or made the world look a little bit brighter.
2: Oh, I really appreciate hearing that. That's, that's exactly what FAR is for, and exactly why I do the writing that I do. So that's that's great to hear.
1: So um, so today we decided we were going to talk about the hospitality of goddess culture, mm-hmm. uh, particularly as a tool for healing. So let's start maybe with um, why is it important to look into these goddess myths and goddess-centered cultures, um, you know, particularly as they maybe address trauma and abuse?
2: Sure. So, you know, I think it's important to address the or to look at goddess myths and cultures, because the cultures really had such a deep understanding of nonviolence and how to have a peaceful, harmonious culture. Um, and they you know, kept these cultures going really over millennia. Um, and even when they were eventually destroyed by natural disasters or conquerors, elements of their culture were so important to their descendants and also just relevant to our common humanity that the stories and practices lived on even if in fragmented or adapted form, which is why you know we're still talking about them this morning. Um, you know, but first, you know, we should probably maybe define what cultures we're talking about.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. Think, please go, yeah. Please go. Please oh, go ahead okay. and maybe even give a couple examples of the myths, if you like.
2: Okay. Sure. Um, so the cultures we're we're talking about are have largely been explored by people like you know Maria Gimbutas and. Heidi gertner Abendroth and Carol Christ and Max Statue and Rhianne Eisler, who I think your listeners are familiar with because she was just a guest last month. And, you know, they generally use terms like societies of peace or matriarchal cultures or partnership cultures, but they're often talking about the same type of cultures, that, you know, they generally valued gender equality and they had women in leadership positions. They often had female deities at the center of their spirituality. They valued nonviolence, respect for all, consensus decision-making. Um, they made sure everyone's basic needs were met, which is really important to our discussion today. And they valued cooperation over converg- uh, coercion. So, you know, some of the societies your listeners might have heard of would be like the Hyuk in Crete, the Minoans, old European societies in the Baltics, um, and elsewhere throughout Europe. But, you know, there were also many others um, that were both ancient and contemporary, and we'll be talking about some of those. Um, and then there were cultures that, like the Celts and the Greeks and the Romans, that were themselves warlike. But when they took over peaceful cultures, they incorporated or adapted goddess myths and customs from the peaceful cultures that continued on, you know especially among the rural people, even you know up until today in some cases. So you know some of the goddess stories we 'll be discussing come from cultures that may not necessarily have all the features of the peaceful societies, like you know ancient Sumer, for example. But they have stories that are meaningful to the topic. for know, So for more than about 30 years, I've had a really deep interest in strong and caring communities. So when I read what the scholars were saying about these goddess-centered cultures, I realized they, they just have very valuable lessons for us today, including about hospitality.
1: Well, and uh, before we get into exactly what hospitality is, um,
2: sure. I, I'm
1: always amazed at the people who can't believe that it could have been different. It could have been better. It wasn't always the yeah. way it is. Um, exactly. Do you find that too?
2: Um, I, I do. I do, and I think. But I think one important thing that's been happening that you know I can talk about a little bit more later on is. A lot of research into, you know, cognitive issues and, and how uh, communities work well together. They're validating these these cultures and, and how they operated, and showing that yes, if you have people behaving in a certain way, if you have gender equality, if you, you know, are very welcoming of people, then you're going to have a peaceful society. So, yeah. Well, I think it's you know it's important to study the the cultures themselves, I think this other research is very important to bring it into the 21st century.
1: Okay. Well, um, well let's, you know, get right to it then. When we talk about hospitality, um, was it different in the ancient goddess cultures than we maybe think of hospitality today?
2: Um, I, I think it was. I, I think it was sort of more deep and complex. Um, you know, usually we think of it as, you know, simply being welcoming to guests. But in ancient times, it was that and a lot more. So, you know, as I understand it, in traditional Celtic culture, for example, which did retain many elements of old European culture, it was a sacred obligation to help whoever came to your door, whether they were a stranger or, or a friend. And whether you were poor or whether you were royalty, you were expected to, you know, as as they said, I think it was in Ireland, um, You keep something for the man on the hill, which means you keep something for whoever may come to your door. In fact, you know, you were wondering about some some myths and stories. You know, according to legend, St. Brigid got the land for her abbey just by showing up at the door of a lord and asking for it because he was obligated to grant her request. Um, However, Patricia Monaghan, and her amazing book, Red-Haired Girl from the Bog, also notes that it wasn't simply helping strangers, um, but also making sure that everyone, including those in your own community, had their basic needs met. So Patricia tells a story of, as a young girl, you know, Saint Bridget. When this is a story of after the, the goddess became a saint. Um, she actually stole some jewels from one of her father's swords to sell to feed the hungry, and when her father was going to punish her for the theft, she said, no, this is part of Celtic hospitality. Um, so she didn't limit it to just feeding and sheltering whoever came and knocked on the door. And it was, you know, it was accepted by her father in the community. And, uh, you know, we can see how this expansive view of hospitality was actually put into practice in particularly Celtic culture, but, I mean, many other cultures, but also Celtic culture. Um, so just to give a few examples to show the breadth of hospitality customs in Scotland. It was traditional for people to eat sparingly at Bridget's Feast, perhaps in her honor, so that they could give extra food to those in need. And in old Irish law, which we can talk a little bit more also, anyone you know who had medical needs received not only care, but also food and shelter while they were being treated. And in Cornwall, children, elders, and importantly, strangers not able to speak the language were given food and shelter. Um, One thing I found really interesting is in Scotland and elsewhere, it was believed that everyone deserved a nice wedding and funeral, so if someone was not able to pay for those, the whole community pitched in to get people, you know, well-married and well-buried. And I've read in the Foxfire books that these same customs came over to Appalachia with the Scots-Irish settlers and really continued, um, probably still continue today. Um, well, yeah, you know, yeah, but, you, know,
1: you and, think about, you know, sometimes you see, like, the Amish, for instance, you know, they'll yeah. all get together and raise a barn or something like exactly. that, you know.
2: And yeah. that, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about, is that same sense of your need is, is my need, and if I help you, then I'm helping myself because I'm creating a caring community.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, look, when you unpack it, okay, I mean, we're talking about having, you know, hospitality equates to a strong social safety net. And mm-hmm. it's really, inc- and, you know, it's just uh, there's a cognitive disconnect, really, when you think about, you know, people or political parties who don't want a strong social safety net. Mm-hmm. And when, yeah. it, when it isn't strong, then they wonder why maybe there's crime uh, because, you know, people are fed up with having to work three jobs to pay the rent or maybe they can't get a job or or whatever, you know. I mean, how can you expect people to live without um, when we have so much richness in this country and and, and them, you know, uh, do they expect them to just be a doormat and continue to take it and take it and take it? Um, I mean, it's not that I'm condoning violence, you know, don't get me wrong, but how can you expect people who... Uh, whose needs can't be met, maybe because the cost of living is so high and wages have stayed so low, um, you know, Mm -hmm. that there isn't some sort of pushback and it might not be pretty.
2: Well, true, true. And I think, you know, again, you know, some of the research is showing the importance of an important social safety net. And, you know, one, one aspect of hospitality that sort of calls to me is that, It's something that really starts at the community level, so no matter what's going on on the national level, we can all work in our own communities um, to, to create a social safety net or even just a personal social safety net for the people that we interact with. Right. Well, yes.
1: um, you know, Roy and I were, and you know, and I'm thinking about that on a personal level because you know, Roy yes. and I were just, um, uh, you know, we're looking at joining a local church that we thought was uh, probably in alignment with our values, and yes. uh, I have to tell you, you know, maybe one or two people out of the whole congregation were the only ones that really communicated with us in any meaningful way. You know, they didn't mm-hmm. make contact. You know, um, you know, Roy has a, you know, he has a head injury And, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes he would go over And try to talk to people And he said they would just walk away from him And I mean, and these yep. are people in a church, right? Yep
2: um,
1: it's, And it's kind of shameful when you think about it Because, um, you know, sometimes these churches Talk about their great values and ideals But, um,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: walking the talk Is a whole different story
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know there were, There were a couple of elements of you know, the sort of ancient hospitality that I think are really relevant um, to to, those ki- to all those kinds of situations. Um, you know, for example, you know, what, when people were asked, well, why should you be hospitable? It was because they said, well, you never know when a deity or a fairy will come to your door in disguise. In other words, you don't know or you should always assume that the person who's coming to you for help, that they're sacred. They're divine that they have um, an, an inner light that is 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 you know worthwhile to you um, and right. you know just j- just to you know give a an example from uh, goddess mythology you know you have the story of Demeter who was you know she was in despair because her daughter Persephone had been kidnapped um, and then the queen of Eleusis took her in without knowing who she was and the goddess Baubo danced while holding up her skirt. To make Demeter laugh, and so later Demeter rewarded the people of Eleusis by teaching them agriculture, and you know holding their rights there. So in other words, the people were rewarded for taking in whomever. Um, and right. it, I mean, right. th- I mean, if I <laughs> if I could just tell another another story, mainly just because I love the story, um, it's about the Kayak, um, who is the primordial goddess from Ireland and Scotland, who came sort of like you, you know they came to this glen in a terrible winter, and without who who knowing who they were, the villagers gave them food, and Ethan built them a little house and so the, the the villagers were rewarded with abundant crops and good weather and When the family finally left, the kayak said, "Well, you'll continue to have good fortune as long as you maintain this little stone house and take these little stone figures in and out of the house depending on the season and amazingly, the people are still doing it. And I think it's because it's meaningful to them. It's because they know mm-hmm. that that what this means is if a family comes to me, no matter who they are, I need to take care of them. And, and I think that's, you know, tremendously meaningful. I think, you know, there are a couple of other stories um, that also speak to the importance of seeing the divine in the, the people who are considered the lowest social status.
3: So, for mm-hmm. example, there's
2: a, another story of, like, of Bridget, who, you know, there were two people with leprosy, and she gave them each the ability to heal one another, and one did, but then the other refused to heal the first person because he was disgusted. So she, she healed the first person, and she put the leprosy back on the person who had refused, refused to heal the <laughs> other person. You know, and so... And another, you know, there's another story um, uh, about the Dooney, which is a Scottish crone spirit woman who's protecting some birds from hunters when a young boy tried to kill one of the birds, and the, the kid ended up falling off a cliff. And the Dooney saved him but told him never to harm the birds again because, and I'm quoting, maybe the Dooney will no be here to help you. And, yes, I did tell the story <laughs> to quote that line. But anyway, but both these stories show, you know, it's it's important that when someone comes to you, you you see the the divine in them no matter who they are, no matter what their social status is and you know i right, i right. see i mean i see this every day um I used to work in human services and it's there's an element um in that's missing in our even in our social safety net because often um when we think of charity, quote, unquote, it doesn't have that welcoming aspect, and it really needs to. Too often we think, well, you know, we'll, we'll give a social safety net because we have a moral obligation, but we're really kind of thinking of it as a burden. Whereas if you think, of course I'm going to help this person because they deserve care and they're sacred, and you indicate to them it makes such a difference. you can see You can see the difference in their face when they realize that they've come to someone who values them. Right. right yeah um, they
1: don't they don't give it begrudgingly uh exactly. you know it's almost as if you're treating them as if to, uh as if as if they're valuable and um exactly well, and and i think it's it's about you know putting you know or you could think of it as you know putting some karma in your karma bank you know exactly. uh and if you you know put yep. put some good karma in your karma bank by doing things for other people um you know it builds up, and you know maybe one day it you're going to have to t- tap into that Corma Bank and uh you know, and, and maybe uh, make a withdrawal, you know, so to speak. Right. Um exactly. but um yeah, I, I I know what you mean. It's it seems as if um I mean even with look social security now, you know, instead mm-hmm. of looking at it as we've paid into it all of our life, uh, you know, yeah. it was a promise, it was an agreement we made, um, you know, now people want to take it away and call it entitlements mm-hmm. as if right. uh, you know, we're we're getting something for nothing. Uh mm-hmm. you know, we're you know, we're getting or, or you look at prosperity gospels too. Um, what I understand about prosperity gospels is, um, you know, if you are not doing well and, uh, you know, you're not reaping great rewards, well, you mustn't be working hard enough. And, you know, God isn't giving you his grace. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's really warped <laughs> uh, yeah, out and, there, you know.
2: I, you know mean, it, I mean, it used to be that people would take a vow of poverty because there was something – there was something holy, and not being so so greedy that you took more than you needed. You know.
1: Well, um, remember, greed used to be one of the seven deadly sins, and suddenly exactly. everybody's kind of forgot that. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. so let's let's talk a little bit about the loss of this value, especially sure. maybe uh, how it affects women or women that mm-hmm. uh, maybe are at risk.
2: Sure, sure. Um, one other point I just wanted to quickly make was that also when we talk about hospitality in the 21st century, we need to make sure we're talking about not only physical needs but emotional, mental, and spiritual needs um, because, you know, many of the myths they do focus on the, the spiritual issues. I mean, I'm sorry, the physical issues. But we all know how important all those other needs are. So I think we also have to be hospitable about those. And another quick point I just wanted to make is that, you know, Recent research has showed, first of all, that humans survived all these hundreds of thousands of years because they cooperated. Um, there's a book called Mothers and Others about parents and it's just been shown over and over. When when a community takes care of a child, that child's survival is much better. Um, and also, you know, as uh, Rianne Eisler and Doug Fry noted in Nurturing Our Humanity, People are hardwired to take care of one another. We get pleasure from doing that, so it's an instinct, and we just need to to act on it, which, as you say, you know, one of the reasons that it's the loss of hospitality um, does very directly affect women, and I think that's why, you know, women do find themselves in difficult situations, so. Um, basically, you know, first as women's status and the value of hospitality has declined, women are less able to make their basic needs. Um, there's a direct link, according to the UN, between the loss of the ability to meet basic needs and violence, um, especially because many women don't have the resources to be financially independent of abusers and to leave them and go someplace else. And just to, you know, quickly quote the UN, Um, Many women and girls live in insecure, undignified, and unsafe conditions at increased risk of homelessness and violence directly due to lack of income, lack of property rights, uh, domestic violence, and more. And women are more likely to go to bed hungry and experience the greatest levels of extreme poverty across the world than men. In fact, the WHO estimates that a third of women worldwide experience physical or sexual violence across their lifetime with in some countries, that's 50%, so that's half of all women, which just shows you how difficult the situa- situation is for women in the world at the moment. Um, and it, you know, that also extends to things like um, elder abuse, so other forms of interpersonal um, violence. Well,
1: yeah, and and if I could piggyback on that, I mean, um, and it's because women have made less money in their lifetime, uh, uh, you know, because we still don't have equal pay, Uh, Mm -hmm. women are more likely to retire in poverty, and this also goes to the Roe v. Wade decision, you know, forcing women to have children that they can't afford to have you know, and it exactly. puts them in, in dire straits, you know, if we want to look at yeah. contemporary things uh, that mm-hmm. are happening.
2: Yeah, and, and, I mean, another really big factor is that um, women are now being forced into unpaid, forced, and when I say that, I mean, you know, many, many women joyfully provide caregiving, but women are often in unpaid or very poorly paid caregiver roles which result in lower incomes for women, which as we've just seen is key to understanding you know, higher rates of violence. So you know, according to Oxfam, among the reasons women are poor is that women do twice as much unpaid caregiving work um, for family members. And also the paid occupations that are low, low paying and relate to caregiving are held overwhelmingly by women, which re- again relates to hospitality because caregiving once was and still is in some societies a sacred obligation for everyone. You know, everyone participated yeah. in it. But now it's devolved onto, onto women, especially women with low incomes, in ways that, you know, they force women into poverty and an inability to meet their own basic needs, which, again, places them at well, risk for abuse.
1: Well, and then there's the child care issue. You know, how many Mm -hmm. women can't go out to work because they can't afford the high cost of child care? And, you know, uh, Republicans want to say, oh, well, nobody wants to work. Well, maybe they can't afford to go out and work because, you know, there's nobody to take care of their child while they're at work or the people that – do do it, um, you know, maybe what they charge, uh, you know, they would be, uh, I, I mean, look, I've had so many women say, you know, it would cost me more for, uh, you know, to pay for child care. You know, I, I don't make enough at my job to pay for child care. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, the other thing that research shows is that it's, it's the early experiences of children that can very deeply affect whether they become violent in later life. So not only yeah. having affordable child care, but very high-quality child care is, is just super important.
1: Yeah, and all of this, you know, it's like a domino effect, right? I mean, mm-hmm. because when there's not enough, when there's scarcity, when there's um, you know, you you're going to bed hungry at night, uh, you know, maybe there's the domestic violence in the home. I mean, that mm-hmm. all results in trauma and poor mental health and, you know, and then it, you know, it, it's uh, like this avalanche, then when these mm-hmm. people uh aren't uh, uh good citizens, shall we say, and they act out in the world, you know whether it's they're kicking the dog or abusing their employees or uh raping or robbing or whatever it is they're gonna do because uh it you know we can maybe track it all back to uh how their mother suffered when they were in the womb
2: exactly 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 and I mean I think. To look on a sort of positive side, the fact that all these things are interrelated means that if you work on any one of them, even at a very community level, you're making a difference. So that means that you know we all have different um, abilities and life missions. But if if I open a food pantry then that, in my little town, then that means that somebody's going to get fed and some child, you know, is going to not go hungry, and 50 years from now that child is is going to have well-being instead of being a violent person. And so to me that's that's just very sort of hopeful that because of the interrelationship. Yeah or, yeah, or, or you inter- know, maybe
1: you yeah. – um, go ahead, I'm sorry.
2: No, just – it means that you know it can be very when you look at the whole situation, it can be very overwhelming, but what it means is you can find your way in to make a difference where where whatever calls to you.
1: Right, right. Um, well, we're going to take a break right now, Carolyn. Um, mm-hmm. But when we come back, I want to uh, talk to you more about um, uh, turning from healing to prevention and what sure. we can learn more from goddess-centered cultures about how to prevent the abuse and trauma that we haven't already sure. maybe talked about. Um, yep. and, but, uh, but first, uh, let's uh, hear from Joe Carson.
0: This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a gardenerian high priest of the Whitecroft line, a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the Goddess and Gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the Fairy Faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Farah founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Farrah
1: Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book quality hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Farrah website at ferraferia.org That's F-E-R-A F-E-R-I-A dot org And also Laura Perry, a friend of the show
3: The Minoans of ancient Crete an egalitarian society where women were honored where the sacred feminine was revered where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labrys and Horns, and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan coloring books, and discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com.
1: And I want to remind you, too, about the Divine Feminine app. Uh, If you're like me, maybe you hear about it here on the show, and then uh, you forget about uh, going to uh, download it on your telephone. Uh, So I'm here to remind you once again uh, that women have been finding the Divine Feminine app each and every day since 2016 as a resource for finding local sacred circles, events, and resources. The Divine Feminine app has a new feature where newly added and local events are sent out every Tuesday. Go to DivineFeminineApp.com, app with two P's, and register. It's quick, it's easy, it doesn't cost anything, and you can see circles in your area and uh, you can be put on the email list. And as a benefit to our listeners, you can click on Upgrade Membership and scroll down to use the code Sacred Feminine to get 90-day access to entering your own featured events that will be sent to local users. And, um, you know, it's not just local events. Uh, you can also get soul-filled, sacred feminine virtual and online events uh, listed there. Uh, on the Divine Feminine app as well, uh, where you'll learn about retreats, profiles, and podcasts like ours and more. So um, we are talking to Carolyn Boyd uh, about uh, the hospitality of goddess culture, what that looked like back then, and how it would be important for us to incorporate it into today's world. And, um, Carolyn, we were going to kind of shift over to uh, turning from healing to prevention. So uh, what did you want to say about that?
2: Okay. So, you know, the... To me, there's really two elements and I'd like to talk about, both. one is sort of social, and one is kind of actually the built environment. So, you know, when I look at studies of individual cultures, um, you know, like many goddess-centered or cultures with strong women leaders, where violence, especially domestic violence, is uncommon or even reportedly non-existent, I see three um, social, family, and community factors that relate to hospitality. So first, it's often the norm to have strong social bonds and for everyone to feel that they belong and that they have a responsibility to others in the family and the community. Um, Second, that women hold positions of leadership and have power over basic resources. In other words, women are valued. And third, that those who are experiencing abuse and violence have places to go where they'll receive support and protection. So for example, Heidi gertner her she has two books, Societies of Peace and Matriarchal. Societies that talk about these cultures where many where social connections are so strong that domestic violence is virtually non-existent, for example with the the Kuna people who live on the islands near Panama and re, revere earth as their great mother, they live in small extended family groups, everyone is embedded in relationship to everybody else and every everyone is valued for who they are and According to the book, you know because of these strong social relationships, there's no domestic violence. another you know just to give an example is the traditional Okinawan culture. Um, this is described in Women of the Sacred Groves by Susan Sarad, where you know, the religion isn't goddess-centered, but it's centered around Kami-sama, which you know, is a spiritual state or energy. But women lead the traditional religion and are strong in the economic sphere. Women control their sexuality, they're more educated than men, and they're highly socially connected. So while it isn't non-existent, uh, domestic violence isn't common or, or condoned, according to the author, and women have alternatives. They can easily leave and go back to their mother's house, and you know, just you know, another model of prevention from these cultures is the Sandy women women's initiation groups in Africa, which control abuse by men by making men who are violent against against women answerable to not only the woman but her entire Sandy group, which was you know a social and religious group. And so, we do see the same relationship between nonviolence and social connection in our own society. Um, so just to cite a few more studies, um, the CDC has shown that you know, the more social support someone has, the more cohesive the community, the more people in the community know one another and demonstrate showing caring for one another, in other words, the more hospitable it is, the less likely people are to be victimized, which um, was also shown in a study of elder abuse, which showed that during the pandemic when community supports fell apart, elder abuse increased by 83% except where the social supports were protected. Um, and then again, wow. you know, yeah, I, Oxfam did a, a study of domestic violence in 12 countries and showed that in their words, some of the strongest and most consistent factors are harmful social norms that contribute to gender inequality, including that women should be submissive to men, men should have coercive control over women. So whatever we can do to change these, these attitudes and to build up social supports, um, is, is going to make a big difference. You know, the yeah. other area... That, and, mm-hmm.
1: Go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just about to go into the, the built environment. But, so, yeah, go ahead. You know, go ahead. Okay, so, I mean, another area that I think people don't think about is the built environment, which means, you know, architecture and urban planning and all that kind of boring town and municipal stuff. But um, the ancient goddess culture is actually practiced practice strategies that we're learning now encouraged hospitality in families and communities, starting with increasing social, ac- uh, social interaction by, like, building their, you know, putting their houses in a circle so that everybody's door faced one another. Or, and often houses had many generations and extended family would be clustered around a core house, which fostered intergeneral relationships. And in many mm-hmm. old European cultures, houses, temples, and workshops were all mixed in, so that you were a part of a community at all time, which you know is different from, say, you know, the suburban model where you live in one place and you go and you work in another place, and you know, you never have those social connections. So, um, you know, they built places for people to have social interactions and community cohesiveness. Um, you know, so the, the temple at Knossos in Crete was also a community gathering place, as well as Stonehenge, which I hadn't heard, but I thought that was interesting. Um, and even, you know, the architecture indicated that all people are valued, because there was a lack of hierarchy. In Creed and various Greek and Eastern European cultures, the houses were modest and about the same size, which just expressed that everybody was, was valuable. And it also, importantly, meant that there was housing for everybody. You know, So you don't have yeah, a situation yeah. where someone couldn't leave a situation. An abusive situation because there was no place to live. And well, actually, you think you know,
1: about the way we, the way we live right now. Uh, I think we're also much more isolated. And, exactly. um, and the point about, the, you know, there not being hierarchy, I think, and mm-hmm. the value of houses, so to speak, that was one thing that really struck me as I watched a lot of television shows that come out of um, the Scandinavian countries. some A lot of mm-hmm. them are on PBS. And exactly. you notice yeah. that they don't have these humongous mansions, uh, yep. you know, like we have. Uh, I mean, even mm-hmm. well-to-do people are living in a house that that maybe um, an upper-middle class or a middle-class person in the United States would have. You know, they're not huge, they're modest, Uh, and, you know, anyone goes to Paris, you know, you'll find out uh, square footage-wise, you know. I mean, Mm -hmm. people just don't need the, the, you know, the huge uh, living space that, you know, Americans uh, tend to gravitate toward you know it gets wider and it goes taller
2: (laughs) right and you know there's there's other other elements too you know it's been shown that when people have common spaces like attractive parks and open marketplaces and forums where people can come together um, social stress and violence actually goes down you can you can reduce violence by creating ways for people to interact in fact even, it's been shown that even, you know, casual sidewalk encounters, the fact that if you, if you can walk to the library or to the grocery store and you encounter 10 people, you're going to have a more hospitable community and you're going to have less violence, which, I mean, to me, that's just a very powerful finding. And even things like public art, just create that sense of community that that make people want to care about each other and, and help one another and you know, of course, yeah. you know affordable housing. You you can't hardly find anything more important, I think, for reducing social stress and violence than affordable housing, because if people have no yeah. place to go because they can't afford it, um, they're going to be stuck in these in these various, you know, these very bad situations. Um, think, well, when you, know. you think
1: about the other advantage of communal housing, too, is you know the fir- you know the first thing we hear about when there's domestic violence is how the abuser tries to isolate the victim, mm-hmm. and when exactly. you're ha- living in communal housing, that's a lot lot harder because uh, maybe yeah. you hear what's going on, you see what's going on, and it makes it a lot more difficult for that abuser to get away with the abuse.
2: That's. That's exactly true, and I think um, there's a movement here in New England, and I think it's probably all over the world for intentional housing or co-housing, where you have housing. Um, you know, each person has a relatively small unit, but you're all so socially connected that um, I think it would be very difficult for abusive situations to continue because everybody knows everybody knows everybody else and, and what's going on. Right. So. And, yeah. you know, I think, one, uh, you know, another kind of positive thing is that architects and urban planners are actually starting to use some of these um, these strategies, which are thousands of years old, even though I don't, uh, you know, I don't know that they know that they're from ancient goddess cultures. But, they're, you know, they are starting to build, you know, houses so that they see one another and mixed-use zoning so that people work and live and recreate in the same place so they get to know each other and creating common spaces and particularly – I think people are now really looking at the importance of funding for affordable housing
1: yeah yeah well and and this is kind of a parallel track you know we were you were talking before about uh we all have different strengths you know what we can contribute to the community i mean i was thinking about like the importance of uh you know maybe you don't have money to give but maybe you mm-hmm. can teach a child to read or play an instrument exactly. or um you know sponsor an art class or a spelling bee or a book club or i mean there's really so many things we can do to give back to the community that would enhance, you know, the person, the teacher's life uh, yeah. as well as all the kids that they, they, uh, they would reach.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And the other advantage is that the more you can get people involved in helping one another, the stronger the community will be. And so y- you're not only helping someone else, but you're helping yourself when you build a hospitable
1: culture. Yeah, this rugged individualism is for the birds, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in many
2: um, ways
1: that's true. Yeah, yeah. It it really just uh it especially it it's especially hard on women, you know. Uh yep. and so um so Carolyn, um do you want to leave us with a message of hope listeners can take away maybe?
2: Sure, sure. So I mean I would just say that you know, hospitality in all its forms, you know, it really is found throughout the world, and research has shown that we're naturally inclined to be caring, and for almost all of our human history, we've lived in relatively peaceful small communities. So even though it's easy to feel overwhelmed, um, we, can, we can make a difference. Um, and, you know, we of the 20th century have been given special gifts because many of us are the first of many generations to access goddess myths and knowledge of goddess cultures that can show us better ways. Um, So, you know, it's really our responsibility to make the most of this opportunity at this moment in history when we and our planet are facing so many crises. But to me, the best news is that we can all make a difference just by making hospitality part part of our daily thinking, our way of life, you know, and trying to create hospitable communities wherever we happen to be. So... I'm excited about the possibilities. I I think we can make the world better together.
1: Well, I do, too. And, you know, I I was really um, hopeful, uh, more hopeful than I've been in a long time, you know, hearing the State of the Union last night Mm -hmm. and uh, having President Biden rattle off all the uh, progress that's been made, because, you know, he really is – focused on uh, individuals rather than corporations, you know, that haven't been paying their taxes and reaping all the rewards. And, um, you know, it feels like they're finally starting to uh, use our tax dollars for our human capital uh, Mm -hmm. rather than just keep, you know, uh, corporate welfare, you know, where uh, all that does is help shareholders uh, and, you know, not individual people. So, um, well, listen, Carolyn. I want to thank you for all the incredible research you did. Uh, you know, to bring us all the information and statistics, and uh, uh, you know that you brought to the show. And um, uh, it, it, can you, by any chance, maybe on your Facebook page or your website, maybe list some of the resources or books you mentioned, like Pat Monahan's sure. um, "Girl in the Bog" or? Um, yeah, that yep. might be great. You know, Maybe some of the listeners would want to go back yep. and look at some of those goddess myths or goddess cultures mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, that you told us about today.
2: Great. I'll be happy to do that.
1: Yep. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn, and I look forward to seeing more of your writings in the Feminism and Religion blog.
2: Thank you so much, and thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for all your hard work and your, your many talents.
2: Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.
1: So um, I wanted to uh, get along here to um, some of the articles that our roving reporter, Pat, uh, sent in to us. Uh, The first, uh, I wonder if you have seen online uh, Florida's banned book list. Um, you know censoring books is really just crazy um, You know education is everything And uh, I think that's why uh, Republicans want to thwart education wherever they can um, But uh, I'll, I'll just read you some of the titles that uh, You know they want to ban in Florida uh, So A Wrinkle in Time uh, The Diary of a Part-Time Indian The Handmaid's Tale Catcher in the Rye, Of Mice and Men, The Adventures of Huck Finn, The Kite Runner, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Giver, The Outsiders, Harry Potter series, The Hate You Give, The Grapes of Wrath, The Color Purple, The Lord of the Flies, The Call of the Wild, The Lord of the Rings, Bridge to Terabithia, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. All of those books uh, are going to be gone. Uh, In Florida it uh, it would seem Um, also uh, the Colorado Sun News uh, had an article this week um, it in uh, in response to all the Republican pushback against uh, abortion and um, and contraception um, hospitals are actually taking a stand and restricting themselves Uh, and one example is in Durango Colorado Mercy Hospital Uh, is doing this on their own Uh, they they are not going to give women tubal ligations as a method to prevent pregnancy anymore Uh, they will only do a tubal ligation if a woman has cancer and uh, you know that's uh, that that's really taken things pretty far a woman can't even um, decide she doesn't want children and have herself sterilized to make sure of it you know she's losing the ability to even choose this as a method of birth control Um, another article this one was from the optimist daily Uh, Australia becomes the first country to recognize psychedelics as medicine Uh, that's interesting Um, uh, you know uh, perchance Aboriginal cultures uh, have had uh, a hand in that let's see uh, another uh, another one that I think this audience will be interested in is that the Church of England is considering uh, referring to God as gender neutral. They're going to stop referring to God using male pronouns that's under consideration also if you or the people you know are going to be watching the Super Bowl don't be surprised when uh, you're going to see commercials about Jesus Uh, Hobby Lobby uh, you know the guy who owns it uh, a while back he prevented the women who work for him uh, from being able to get contraception on uh, their health plans well uh, he's paying billions uh, to rebrand Jesus in these commercials at the Super Bowl, and the tagline is, He Gets Us. In other words, Jesus, He Gets Us. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. Um, also, in New Mexico, the uh, Satanic Temple is opening telehealth abortion clinics, and uh, they are going to name the clinics after Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito's mom. Now, this is the same group that challenged um, mounting the Ten Commandments on the lawn of the Arkansas uh, Arkansas State Capitol years back, um, and they briefly mounted a Baphomet statue uh, to make a point about uh, freedom of religion and separation of church and state. Uh, and the way they are uh, justifying uh, the telehealth abortion clinics to help women uh, is saying that uh, abortions or a religious ritual or practice, uh, if you are in the uh, church of Satan, and uh, that to ban abortion and uh, reproductive freedom is a violation of their religion. So we'll have to watch where that goes. I know other religions are doing the same thing. Uh, I think one of them being uh, Judaism, and I think that might be happening in Florida. Uh, SciTech Daily, um, they had an article about uh, a peculiar case of virgin births um, in their shark aquarium. Uh, The Optimist Daily again is on the list uh, with some news uh, of hope. Uh, That magnets um, are being used to remove uh, dangerous chemicals from water Uh, Science and technology um, in Al Jazeera uh, had an article about uh, they are resurrecting the Tasmanian tiger They're bringing it back from um, extinction using DNA uh, and Republicans, uh, they're pushing for the strongest possible abortion restrictions despite voter backlash in 2022. Uh, that was in Raw Story, if you want to look it up. And, uh, the Daily Coast, uh, there was a headline that Steve Bannon, you know, uh, former president trump's buddy uh he admits that the trump cabinet nominees were selected to actually destroy the na- the agencies uh that uh, trump had them lead yeah i guess no surprise there but uh he actually spoke uh spoke it out loud um let's see what else i have for you here Um, Yes, uh, Pat actually sent in No, 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 a a listener, Maria, sent this in And I think it might be uh, a nice way to come to a close uh, for the show Um, This was an old Druid's prayer And uh, I thought you would enjoy it So here it goes Grant, O Great Spirit, Goddess, God, Holy Ones thy protection, and in that protection, strength, and in that strength, understanding, and in that understanding, knowledge, and in that knowledge, the knowledge of justice, and in the knowledge of justice, the love of it, and in that love, the love of all existences, and in the love of all existences, the love of great spirit goddess god holy ones the earth our mother and all goodness thank you maria for sending that in and um, if other listeners have things they'd like me to share on the air uh, please do email me at uh, karen tate 108 at com. so um, That will bring uh, today's show to a close. Um, Next week I will be talking to Beth Bartlett. We're going to be discussing Restoring Sisterhood. Um, And then February 22nd, Emmanuel Etier is with me. Uh, He is the producer of Wonderland Entertainment, uh, and he has a legacy of uh, socially conscious films. Um, So we have called the show, In Oneness, Let's Heal the World. So that about does it for me listeners I hope you've enjoyed the show please tell your friends and share the word that Karen Tate and voices of the sacred feminine is back and my work is where spirituality personal transformation and social justice meet. Please go to my Facebook page, uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine Radio. I am trying to consolidate most things there, and that is where you will find what I'm up to these days. Uh, check out my new uh, website, Tools for Transformation. It's at KarenTate.net. Uh, I am in the process of learning how to build it. Uh, and, uh, as i 've said recently, I will not let perfection stand in the way of progress. so you might on occasion find an error there, a broken link, uh, but I am in the process of uh, rebuilding, adding content, and fixing um, any mistakes there so uh, that 's about all for me for today. I hope uh, you have a great week and um, I am going to leave you with uh, uh, Sekhmet again, Our Lady of Tenacity Manifested, um, she, who, um, she who gives us permission to say no without guilt and encourage us to have healthy boundaries, Lady Sekhmet.